Hello, and welcome to the Coastal Church Audio Podcast. In this weekly podcast, you'll be inspired and equipped with the power of God's Word to live an overcoming life. In this week's teaching, we will look at restoring broken relationships in our life by putting them in God's hands. And now, for this week's message. Well, let's get our notes out. We'll get right into the message this afternoon. We have a lot to cover, and this is a message we can all relate to, because undoubtedly, each and every one of us, at some point or another, has been betrayed, trust has been broken in a relationship, and now you have the challenge of restoring that relationship. Let me say at the outset that there are some relationships that you will never restore again where trust has been broken. The abuse was too severe, the violence was too great, and that relationship will not be restored. You'll forgive that person, but you won't restore that relationship. So let me say that on the outset. And then also let me say there are some things that where trust has been broken that they're minor and we don't need to make a big deal out of it. We just need to move on with our life, forgive the person, and make, don't make a big deal out of it. If we make a big deal out of a lot of small things, we'll actually have an issue. And so there are times we just go to our prayer closet, we pray for that person, we forgive that person, and we move on. In Proverbs, Proverbs 19.11, it says it's to your glory, it's to your credit to overlook a transgression. Some things just need to be overlooked, forgiven, and move on. For an example, you know, if somebody is uh, late for an appointment, I could make a big deal of it and just say, oh, you know, you were late, you broke your word, and rah, 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 rah. Or I could say, you know what, in the light of eternity, this probably is not going to make a big difference. I forgive this person, not even going to talk about it, I'm just moving on. Let me give you a couple of pointers, get this out of the way, and then we'll get into it. Because I think it's important to know what we should overlook and what we shouldn't overlook. And when trust has been broken, how do we deal with it? So just as a general rule, if there is an offense that should be overlooked, if you can answer no to these following questions, then you can just pray about it, forgive them, and move on. Number one, will it permanently damage our relationship if I overlook it? Is this going to be a permanent damage to my relationship? If you said, no, it's not going to permanently damage my relationship, well then, forgive them and just move on. Is this a repeating offense and seriously hurting others? You know, for example, somebody doesn't show up on time. If it happens once or twice, I'm going to forgive them. But every time I go to meet with this person, they're always late. Then maybe I want to say something and approach them because this is an issue that's going to affect them and affect other people, and it's affecting our relationship. But if it's just once or twice, then I'm just going to overlook it and move on. Another question might be, is it seriously hurting the offender himself? Is it seriously hurting that person? Is the offense breaking a scriptural principle, and is it seriously dishonoring God? And if you say no to those questions and overlook it, move on and keep praying through it and, and don't make a bigger deal of it than what it is. So getting that out of the way, that there are some things that trust in relation with trust will not be able to be restored because of the seriousness of the violation, etc. And then there are some things that we just overlook because they're minor. So now let's go to things where we do want to restore that relationship where trust has been broken. And really, reconciliation, and this is a week of reconciliation in our city, in our province. We have the Truth and Reconciliation Commission taking place this week. The march happened today. I was down earlier for that, and uh, it was uh, great to see so many people gathered together for that march of the Walk for Reconciliation. And when we talk about reconciliation, reconciliation means to bring two parties back together again that have a mutual interest to do that. 
It has to be both parties wanting to have that. You're, you're bringing something together again. You want to restore that relationship. I love the song that they played at the beginning of the Walk for Reconciliation. It's one of my favorite songs. Every time we have water baptism, I ask the media team if we can use this song, but they say, Pastor, we've used that song so many times we don't get to use it again. And that song is, Oh, Happy Day. You know that song, Oh, Happy Day, Oh, Happy Day, when Jesus washed all my sins away, Oh, Happy Day. That was the beginning song for the march this morning, Oh, Happy Day. And if you were to walk down Georgia Street, you might have even been able to hear from here, it was all the way down at the library, but echoing down Georgia Street was the name of Jesus. I love that. Oh, happy day when Jesus washed. They had this black choir up there singing, not black, but it sounded black because it's just the flavor of it. Uh, oh, happy day. It's, it's, it's a, you know what I'm saying. And it was so rich, just echoing amongst the buildings when Jesus washed. I wish I could sing all my sins away. Yeah, it was good. That started it off. And of course, he is the reconciler because in your notes, your memory verse for today is out of Luke chapter 4 because he has come to heal the brokenhearted. When trust has been broken, our hearts can be broken. And when our heart is broken, we hurt. I prayed for a gal in the last service, tears in her face, or running down her face, brokenhearted, hurting. And when, when we have that deep hurt on the inside of us, when trust has been broken, it affects every part of our life. It begins to affect our health, it affects our relationship, it affects our performance at work, it affects everything around us. But Jesus, when he started his ministry, he sat down and he read those words that were prophetic, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he sent me to heal the brokenhearted. And I think at the end of it, it is really him, oh, happy day, that brings this reconciliation. It is the power of Christ. Why, is it, why can he do that so well? Because if anyone who was betrayed, it was he who was betrayed. If there was anyone who can relate to what it means to have trust broken, he could relate to that. And so we keep Jesus in the middle of all what we're talking about today. So let's go through a few points this afternoon of how we can deal with broken trust. Number one, you have to acknowledge what happened. You can't bring reconciliation. Trust can't be restored if people don't acknowledge what took place. We give you a verse, and this is very much a family talk. It deals with relationships. And typically, that's who we're trying to restore trust with. It's with maybe a spouse, maybe with a child, and maybe with a close friend. It's close relationships, and these principles apply to that. So here we go, Matthew 18, 15, and 16. If a fellow believer hurts you, go and tell him. They hurt you, you go tell them. So you have to take responsibility. You have to go do something about this. Work it out between the two of you. Now look at this next point. If he listens, you've made a friend. If he won't listen, so there's a big if there. So much of bringing trust back into relationship is listening. That was one of the key words we used last week about how to be trustworthy. And we had an open session. You guys were texting in different answers as I was speaking. And one of the words you kept putting up there was the word listen. It's very important. I trust somebody if they will really listen to me, sincerely listen to me. 
not just, you know, listen and be texting the same time they're listening to me or their, their body language says or somewhere else, but they, they really listen to me. And when we are bringing about healing, when we want to restore trust, you have to take time to listen. We can't rush this process. It can take sometimes weeks. It can take months. In this case of reconciliation we have going on here with our First Nations, it's taken years of listening. At the PE grounds, they had certain places to gather where the church would just listen to those who had been hurt. There was just a process of listening. And again, there's this word, if they will listen. Well, what happens if they don't listen? What happens if they don't want to listen? Then what do I do? We'll get to that in a moment. Just hang on. We'll get there in a second. But first of all, we want to talk about listening, the importance of that. To acknowledge, I have to have somebody be able to listen to me. And I want somebody to hear the other side of it as well. So listening is very key for that. Another key thing here it says, if we read on, Take one or two others along so that the presence of witnesses will keep things honest and try again if they don't listen. We'll talk a bit about that in a moment. In order to have trust rebuilt, you need support around you. Jesus assumes that you have two or three others that could go with you to help make this process work if it didn't work the first time. What he said here was to try again. I was there to hear the speech by Dr. Martin Luther King's daughter. She spoke just down the street here. And one of the things that she said was, don't get weary. Don't get tired. Keep going. Keep working at this. This takes time. Do not get weary. Jesus is saying here, try again. If it didn't work, bring somebody with you, but try again. It is worth your while to restore those relationships. The Vancouver Foundation has said that we're one of the loneliest cities in the world. We have a lot of people around us, but we're lonely. Trust is the bedrock. Trust is the foundation of relationships. Now, I propose to you one of the reasons that we're lonely in our city is because as Vancouverites, this might be a little hard to swallow, but I think we need to face the issue. We need to understand trust more. Because if trust is the foundation for relationships and we're lonely, maybe, just maybe, we need to understand trust more and how to build relationships. I think one of the things that Vancouverites struggle with, and I'm including myself in this, is pride. We're voted the best city oftentimes, and we think, oh, we live in the best city, and you know what? We're not the best city. I hate to burst your bubble. We're not the, we're whitewashed. It looks really pretty on the outside, North Shore Mountains, downtown, live to work, green, bike lanes, we're it, we're hipster, we're this, we're that. If you want to know the truth about it, we're sick. If you want to know the truth about it, there's a deep work. Want to know the truth about it, Jesus weeps over our city. There's a lot of work that needs to be done in the hearts of people. We would not be one of the loneliest cities in North America if we had our act together. That's the hard fact. And when they did the study, it's, I know I'm kind of just jerking the chain a bit here today, but I'm trying to encourage us that if we want to really bring a difference into our city, our buildings, our communities, we really have to say, okay, what can I do on my own part to restore and to bring trust? I think sometimes it's too easy to run from relationships. Oh, that didn't work out. I'm just going to move on to another one. Oh, I had a little issue in that church. I'm just going to run to another church. And, oh, that didn't work, so I'll just run over there. I think sometimes the Holy Spirit says, why don't you stay put and work it out? 
Why don't you work through it? Why don't you rebuild that trust that was broken? Because in rebuilding, you would have a stronger community. Wouldn't we have a stronger country today if we could rebuild the trust that was broken between Canadians, the, the First Nations? Wouldn't it be stronger if we could be an example that was rebuilt? Of course it would be. And I think God's challenging us, not only on a national level, not only on a city level, but right down into our homes and families, is to rebuild and refortify our relationships. Trust is foundational. So it's a little bit harder to rebuild, but it can be rebuilt. If we threw, or not we threw, somebody threw a rock through the window, we'd go, oh boy, we've got to repair that window. But the window repair would be one thing. But if the foundation of the building broke, I mean, it's a lot harder to repair the foundation of a building than it is the window. You've got to jack the building up. You've got to take it apart, put it back together. And it's a little bit difficult to do, but it can be done. I've got good news for you. If relationships have been broken, if trust has been broken, by the grace of God, we can restore those relationships. Oh, I'm thrilled to see some of the most amazing stories, and even within our own congregation of, of couples that were divorced or ready to get divorced, restored, their marriage stronger than ever before, and other stories that we could share of restored relationships. So one thing to do if we want to restore them is we have to acknowledge what happened. If we keep sweeping it under the rug, ignoring it, stuffing it down, it won't be restored. But if we bring it to the top, listen, are honest about it, we can restore it. So that's number one. Number two is pray. This is a spiritual battle. John 10.10, let's really find out who the enemy is who's trying to destroy trust. It's a thief. He comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But Jesus said, I've come to give you life and life more abundantly. Now, what would he want to destroy more than anything? He, he's really after relationships, your relationship with God and your relationship with others. If Satan can separate you from others, so you're on your own hiding in a corner somewhere, and if he can separate you from your relationship with God, you are, uh, you're, you're, uh, you're at easy, you're easy pickings. Because he's pulled you away from your support group, and he's pulled you away from God. That's his objective. He comes to destroy relationships. But Jesus said, no, I've come to give you life and life more abundantly. And then, of course, we have this verse, Ephesians chapter 6, 12. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Now, I know when trust has been broken and people have offended us, it's really easy to try and think, not to think about retaliating against them. But our struggle is not with people, this verse says. Our struggle is with the powers of darkness. Now, if we can take a step back and we're saying, okay, I want to restore this relationship, my first weapon is prayer. Number one, folks, it's your ace card. It's your advantage to pray, especially if you couple it with fasting. Fasting and prayer over a relationship just sends the enemy running. He goes, oh, no, they're fasting, they're praying, they're speaking the word. He runs in terror from that. Submit yourself to God, resist the devil, and he will, the Bible says, flee from you. That means he gets out of these problem areas. But if we don't realize a broken relationship, our spiritual battle, we'll just keep going around the mountain. We'll just keep spinning our wheels. But, folks, this is huge, just one point. Let me give you an example. If somebody has offended me, they hurt me, 
and I want to restore this relationship, restore this trust. And if I go to them and I approach them and say, you know what? What you did, this is how I felt. This is how you hurt me. And I feel like our trust was broken. I go to them, they go, I don't think so. Dave, that's not the way I see it at all. I think you're just overreacting. I'm blah. And I go, no, you don't understand. You've done it to that person, to this person. You've done it to me. And you, don't you see what you're doing? They said, no, I don't, I don't think there's anything wrong with that at all. And if they don't even admit it or acknowledge it, how many know it's kind of tough to move forward in restoring the trust? Because they're not even acknowledging it. So now what do I do? Pray. That's when you go back and you realize in the spiritual realm, this person is blinded. They're not even seeing what they did. But God can reveal it to them. I can't reveal it to them, but I know someone who can. I know someone who's stronger. I know somebody who knows everything about their heart. And so I go to prayer. I say, God, would you please open this person's eyes? And I break the powers of darkness that are at work here. And I command you in Jesus' name, go. It's called warfare. It's called spiritual warfare. It's kind of loud. It's kind of brash. And it's kind of like go with a shield of faith, sword of the spirit, and you do spiritual battle over relationships. Don't try to do it in the arm of the flesh. Restore relationships spiritually. It's a spiritual matter first and foremost. Now, if I hurt somebody and if I've offended them and I go to them and say, you know what? I'm really sorry for what I did. I realize that this is my fault, and I'm, I'm so sorry that I, I messed up. My bad. I want to make it right. And they go, they, I don't even want to talk to you. It's over. Forget it. I don't want to talk to you, but I, I, I'm so sorry. Can we just talk? I'd like to, can we just have a meeting? I, I, want to, I just want to get down and just want to share with you. I, I'm sorry for what I did. I realize, you know, I'm not making excuses. It wasn't right. And I, can, I, can we get together and talk about this? They go, no, I, I don't want to talk to you. Don't, don't email me. Don't phone me. Don't talk to me. I don't want to hear nothing from you. Now, now what do I do? Because we can't reconcile unless there's the parties both want to work. Again, what I do is pray. My greatest weapon is to pray. Now I go back to prayer. I say, God, I lift this person before you. You know before you, even for this person, I've asked for forgiveness. But, Lord, this relationship is so valuable to me. I don't want to be estranged from my child. I don't want to be estranged from my friend. I want to be estranged from my spouse, God. And right now, they're not even talking to me. Lord, would you do a work? Would you soften their heart? And by the way, enemy, get out of this. Go. You're lying. You're, go from them in Jesus' name. So prayer is really important in healing when trust has been broken. All right, I think you got that point. Uh, Jesus said to pray for those who despitefully use you. That's Sermon on the Mount, classic Jesus. By the way, don't pray against them. There is a difference. Oh, God, I pray you get them. Oh, God, I pray. I pray you wipe them out. Wipe out his business. And rah, 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 rah. No, we're not. There's a difference, all right? We pray for them, not against them. Let, let God take care of that. Our role is to pray for them. You can pray their eyes to be opened. You pray God send some other people into their life to help them understand it. Pray for them. Walk in love because love never, never fails. Number three, get support from trusted friends. We have already alluded to this. That's important. Jesus said, go with two or three others. If they're not working with you, go with others. Get support. It's important to have a life group around you. It's important to have 
On Wednesday night, we have Freedom Sessions. Freedom Sessions is for people that are working through a hurt, a hang-up, or a habit, and they can't get through the cycle of this. Often at the root of it is a relationship that's been broken down, and this is just the manifestation of what's really deeper. And when they get in this group that supports them, and I think we have another week, and then the groups are closed. So you can still jump on board, but we close them for confidentiality's sake because that group really has to bond and trust. But they're the ones that go with you if you have to talk to someone. They're the ones that pray for you. They're the ones when you hear one lie coming at you. hundred people may have said something good about you, but one person said something negative, derogatory about you. Are you like me? It's that one thing that's derogatory that keeps going through your mind. You keep replaying that one thing. hundred people could have said something good, but you just hear this one negative thing. That's that group that comes around and says, you know that's not true. I'm glad for a wife that my best friend, very supportive. But there are times where I'll get a, uh, a response card that wasn't the most complimentary, <laughs> or I'll get somebody send me an email, and I'll read that, and it'll really get me down. And she says, oh, Dave, come on, you know that's not true. Would you look at these other hundred instead of just focusing on that one? And so that, I need that support group. And sometimes I'll, I'll feel... You know, I'll, I'll feel anger come up. I want to react. And she'll come along and say, Dave, you know what? This is not even worth it. That's one of those ones in light of eternity makes no difference. So let's just forgive them and move on. You're right, Cheryl. Thank you. I need to hear that. And we need other times where it's like, this needs to be addressed. Now here, let me help you. Let me go with you. Let me walk with you, pray with you. So support group is very important because if we're alone, you know, one of the things that Dr. Martin Luther King's daughter said this morning she was talking about the importance of acknowledging and sharing it because when we do, our sense of confidence comes up. We realize we're not alone, and that gives us courage to face difficult issues where trust has been broken. And so, again, a support group, trusted friends are important. I'll give you a couple of verses for that as well in your notes. Number four, take responsibility. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, if you're presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you. So you're in church and also you remember that person's got something against me. Well, I don't know what it is, but they've got something against me. I'm not sure. I can just tell by the way they're acting. There's something wrong here. They've got something against me. I don't know why this happens, but it's some, it seems like in church all of a sudden things will come to the surface because God's light will often shine on areas of our life when we're in a setting like this. We don't want to just forget it. This, Jesus is saying here, you need to do something. Again, you have to take responsibility. They have something against you. You, you can say, well, then if they've got something against me, well, then come and talk to me about it. But he's not letting us off the hook. No, you take responsibility. Go restore this trust. You go to them. Now, in your notes... I have, if you've done something wrong and we want to make a confession, I've taken from the book, The Culture of Peace, seven recommendations. They're very condensed, but they'll help us. So take a look at those in your notes. If you have done something, you do need to make a confession. Here we go. One, address everyone involved, all those who've been affected. Sometimes you'll need to do this for your family. If a father has broken the trust of his family, he's promise not to come home drunk anymore and he's come home drunk and the family's in disarray you need to bring the whole family together and confess to all of them 
This is how you do that. There's, there's a way to do confession, a way not to do confession. If we do it wrong, you don't restore trust. If you kind of just rush over it, but you really have to think it through. This is worth it. I know it's work. I know it's hard. But to have strong relationships is really, really important in our families, in our society, in our church. Secondly, avoid the if, but, and maybe. Don't make excuses for your wrongs. Admit specifically your attitudes and your actions. Acknowledge the hurt. Express sorrow for hurting someone. Very important to restore trust that we're sincere. If we're not sincere, it's picked up very quickly, and trust is not reestablished. So there has to be a sincerity about it. We have to accept the consequences, such as making restitution. You know, if I borrowed somebody's car and I got in an accident with it, uh, you know, I, I, I drove into a pole, put a big dent in the back, and I come back and say, oh, here's your keys. Thanks for borrowing me your car. Oh, by the way, I kind of backed into something there, but thanks anyhow. I'm sorry that happened. See you later. I mean, that's not going to cut it. That's not restitution. I'd have to say, you know what? I, I'm sorry. Here's what happened. I backed in that pole. I wiped out the rear end of your vehicle. And by the way, I know it's going to cost about $2,000 to fix, so here's $2,000. I'll make restitution. So when we come along and say, hey, I'm sorry for what happened, to restore trust, we also have to make restitution. See, I mean, th- that might cost. Exactly. But that's part of the process is to make restitution. Because if you just... Now, I might have to park here for a little bit because sometimes we as Christians, we're guilty of this. We think just saying sorry is enough. Well, I said I was sorry. You said you were sorry. That's okay, received, but you left me with a mess. If you're truly sorry, come help me clean up the mess. Don't just say you're sorry and say, oh, I'm off now. I'm, I, said, I said I was sorry, so now you have to leave me alone. No, come with us. Let's fix this and stay with us till it's fixed. And when it's all fixed, we'll believe that you really are sorry. Otherwise, it was just lip service, and we did not do it. No repair of trust was made in the relationship just because you said you're sorry. Somebody can say they're sorry, but that doesn't mean you have to trust them right away. Trust is given. Trust is slowly rebuilt. Trust is earned. Forgiveness is grace. It's not earned, but trust takes time to rebuild. And then lastly, ask for forgiveness and allow time for it. Number five in the steps to rebuilding trust is to take small, consistent steps. The process takes trust, it takes patience, it takes time. 1 Corinthians 13.4, love is patient. There's a scriptural principle that's by faith and patience we inherit the promises. We could say by trust and time. These two are twins, faith and patience, trust and time are twins. They work together. So for trust to be restored, you just have to know it's going to take time. You can't fast forward this. You can't microwave this. You know, we we live in a society. We want everything fixed right now. Well, guess what? We're still human beings. It doesn't matter how fast technology is. You know, I got the latest download of ISO 7 or something on my phone. And but you know what? I'm still a human being. No matter how fast technology goes, no matter how quick we can do things, when it comes to healing relationships, it takes as long as it did 500 years ago. It takes as long as it did 2,000 years ago. This has not changed. You can't speed this up. Well, I'm just going to download. I'm going to Google this. I'm going to quickly figure this out. Google's not going to help you. It's going to take time, 
prayer, step by step. Now, if I've hurt someone and I want to restore trust with that person, I have to let it go at their pace. I have to let them take the steps. And if I say to them, will you just get over it? Guess what I've done? I've just gone all the way back to zero, or I may, even gone be, I may be behind. I may be below par right now by saying something like that. Because when somebody has been hurt, they have been hurt. And when you're hurt, you don't move as quickly. So when you're trying to restore trust, and you may feel like you're in a better position than they are, but if they're hurt and offended and their trust has been broken, it's like me having a sprained ankle. If I've just sprained my ankle, I rolled my ankle, how many know that I'm not moving very fast? It's kind of step by step, and every step is really painful. And if somebody come along and say, come on, Dave, hurry up, hurry up. And if I tried to hurry, if I ran on it, I would just injure it even more. And it's that way with relationships. If we expect them to, come on, suck it up, just go faster, let's repair this broken trust, we actually may injure it even more and set the process further back. But if I'm patient and go at their pace and kind of walk with them, help them to heal, you know, two weeks later, I get, put a little more weight on it, a little more weight. Maybe in a month, I'm able to run, and it's restored. But if we try to force this thing and don't give the time that's necessary, restoring trust just takes time, step by step. Complete honesty. I don't know if there's incomplete honesty, but complete honesty. Transparency. For example, if there has been an affair in a relationship that breaks trust big time, how can that ever be restored? One of the things that's needed in using that as an example is, is openness, a complete openness. I think spouses should have this anyhow, but I think they should have a master key to the other person's life. In order to restore trust in that situation, I'd be, you'd want to say, you, that person who you've hurt should have access to your phone, to your email, to your Facebook, to your phone conversations, to where you go, to, to who you're seeing. They, they, they should have access to 100% of everything. You say, oh, I'm not, no, that's my privacy. They can't have access to that. Now, now you have a choice to make. You can have a relationship or you can have your privacy. What do you want? Because you're not going to have both. If you want to restore trust, you're going to have to give up your privacy. No, no, no. I'm not giving up my privacy. I want to go where I want to go on the Internet. I want to have my own. I don't want to check in my text. Thank you very much. Well, then you won't have a relationship. Now, this might hurt a little bit, but maybe, just maybe, that's one of the reasons we're lonely. Is because we want to live in this, oh, I want my own private world. Well, if we really want our own private world, guess what we'll have? We'll have our own little private world. It'll be us and nobody else. There is a vulnerability in trust. There is a risk in trust. But if you want to restore it, you have to say, my life's an open book. If you want to restore trust with a family member, a relationship, if it's a financial thing, you have to say, where you, there's trust been broken in finance, you have to say, my, my books are open. And when you consistently, consistently deliver. Now, if trust has just been broken, you're trying to restore it, you have to be really, really careful that you're there. You may have to give up some of your time, some of your other commitments, dial it back just to overemphasize that you are trustworthy and you are honest. Honesty is the number one thing that rebuilds trust. So take small, consistent steps. 
Uh, number six, work towards restoration. I think we've mentioned this already, the importance of working towards it. Galatians 6.1, again, it's family talk. Brothers and sisters, anyone caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit, will do this by the Spirit, should restore that person gently. Trust is rebuilt gently. You can't rebuild trust with harshness. Sometimes a dad, a father figure, even a mother, maybe a matriarchal figure, want to kind of force trust to be rebuilt. You can't force it. It has to be done with gentleness. As human beings, again, once we've been hurt and somebody tries to force it on us, we just recoil. But if there's this gentleness, loving, tender heart, isn't that the way Jesus treats us? That's the way he treats us. That's why we trust him in relationship because he extends a lot of grace to us. We extend a lot of grace to others. Now, we'll go through this process more than once in life. Unless, of course, we don't want relationships. But if we want relationships, we'll, we'll be doing this more than once in our lifetime. Where we'll be working through this. And sometimes we have a number going on at the same time. But these tools do work to restore trust in relationships. So we have to work towards it. I've got to wrap up here. Number seven. This is a big one. We're living until the end. Forgive. The ability to forgive is rooted in being forgiven ourselves. Ephesians 4.32 Instead, be kind to each other. Again, this kindness, this gentleness, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Forgiveness is super powerful. Unforgiveness will bring you down. Unforgiveness will put a root of bitterness in your heart, and that root of bitterness will get inside you, and it will eat you up like a cancer on the inside. And if you let it grow there, it may even give you cancer. Most sicknesses and diseases are related to unforgiveness, bitterness, that kind of junk that we left perfect, that's left in our heart. It's not so much what you eat, it's what's eating you. And you just, you just do not want to be hooked up to unforgiveness. Now, I'll give you a few points in a minute that will help you to forgive. I think of a figure who forgave and it didn't bring him down, but it propelled him forward was a fellow by the name of Nelson Mandela. Nelson, as you know, spent 18 years in one prison alone called Roden Island. That prison cell was eight feet by seven feet. Damp concrete walls. Straw mat to sleep on. 18 years. Often in solitary confinement. During the day, he was taken outside to a limestone quarry where he had to break rocks apart. So bright, the light, the strong sun shining down on that white limestone. He, they refused to give him sunglasses. His eyes are permanently damaged to this day because they wouldn't give him sunglasses. What he went through in that prison was, uh, it was, I don't want to go through all the details about it. You could, you could read it online for yourself, but it was very harsh. He was in other prisons. And then one day, you know the story, he becomes president. And the day of his inaugurational speech, he invites the jailers to come to the inauguration speech. And when he invited them, did he say, all right, you guys, you treated me like slime. It's payback time. I am going to humiliate you. I'm going to throw you in jail, and you're going to get it ten times worse, and it's my time to get back at you. He didn't do that. Instead, Nelson Mandela brings him to the front row, sits him down there, and gives honors them, values them. 
Do you know you can honor and value somebody not based upon their performance, not based upon their character. You can honor them because they have intrinsic value. They too still are created in the image of God. And he stepped forward. He honored them, placed value on them, illustrated to the world that it wasn't just talk. He truly had forgiven them. He won a Nobel Peace Prize. He's won over 250 other awards, and it propelled him forward. He was healed and strong, and, of course, the rest is history. So I propose to you that unforgiveness will bring you down. Forgiveness will lift you up. Jesus is the great forgiver, and he is his resurrection power that lifts you up instead of pulling you down. And when trust has been broken, forgiveness has to take place. We forgive because we have been forgiven. If Christ hadn't forgiven us, we couldn't forgive. A couple quick points on forgiveness. Uh, forgiveness does not mean placing yourself in the situation to be hurt again. We've dealt with people who've been abused. I forgive this person for them, and I, I feel like I have to go right back there. No, just you don't have to go back there. Let trust be rebuilt before you go back there, if you ever do go back. Forgiveness does not minimize the offense. We don't downplay. We don't say, well, that's okay. Never was anything. No, it was something. We're not going to minimize it. Forgiveness does not necessarily mean forgetting. Sometimes say, well, you have to forgive and forget. Now, there's some things we will forget. We forgive that person. We move on. And I've had people come to me and say, Dave, I'm sorry that I did this to you. And I don't even remember what they did. You know what? I honestly don't remember. But I'll receive that. But I don't even remember. But there's some things that you will never forget, nor should you forget. You know, it's like a scar. I have a scar on my hand where I cut myself. It's there. I can remember what took place, and I can touch it, but there's no hurt anymore. The hurt's gone. The scar's there, but it reminds me about some things. reminds me not to do certain things again. There's lessons to be learned from this scar. And when we've been hurt in our life, a lot of times it's those things that give us compassion for somebody else in that same situation. If we forgot all that, we couldn't pass on lessons to the next generation or to somebody else. God has a way of taking a mess and making a message out of it. He's got a way of taking something that hurt us to help us minister to somebody else who's being hurt. So some things don't need, shouldn't be forgotten as we forgive. And this last one might surprise you. Forgiveness does not have to be preceded by repentance. We've seen this happen before where somebody come up and say, well, I'll forgive him. I'll forgive him, but he's got to get down on his knees and he's got to say, I'm sorry 100 times. And if he cries enough and he's sincere enough and he really blah, 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 then I just might forgive him. Now, you weren't sorry enough. Say it again. Look me in the eye. Say you're sorry. I don't see any tears. Cry. Say you're sorry. Weep. Buy me a new ring, whatever day. But you've got to say you're sorry. Then I'll forgive you. No. <laughs> That's not what we're talking about. Because you forgive. I'll give you an example. On the TV this week on CNN, Piers Morgan had interviewed Rick and Kay Warren. And Rick Warren had shared how difficult it was for them to forgive the man who sold their son a gun. Their son was not mentally well, and he bought a gun illegally. This person sold him a gun, and with that gun, their son took their life, his life. And he said, it was so difficult for us to forgive this person. This person didn't come and say, I'm sorry, Rick Warren, for selling your son. He didn't come and say he was sorry. They don't even know this person. They'll probably never see him again. And they'll likely never trust this person again. But they can forgive him. And he said, I forgave him because 
and his wife Kay with him, we do not want to be attached emotionally to this person the rest of our life. And so we intentionally forgive this person and we move on. It's behind us. Forgiveness is more for us than it was for that person. Did he ever repent? Who knows? They don't know, but we forgive them so we can move on with our life. And from this tragedy, we can use it to help other people that are in the same situation. And they're a great example of a couple that went through great hurt in the public spotlight and what they went through. But they've turned that all around and said, okay, we're going to use this to help other people in the same situation that they can be lifted up. I want to read you a story in closing that really uh, summarizes the power of forgiveness and that is a story from Corey Ten Boone's book, Tramp for the Lord. And as you know, Corey Ten Boone was put into a concentration camp. Her sister died in concentration camp, and she survived the concentration camp. She toured the world afterwards talking about her experience and how she had to learn how to forgive. And shortly after she had been uh, out of the concentration camp, she found herself in Germany speaking. And the German people were very, it was a very difficult time to be in Germany when you realize all the atrocities had gone on and many of them weren't even aware of all it took on. But she was in Munich and she was there speaking. And as she was speaking, she said, I, I saw a balding, heavy-set man in a gray overcoat, a brown felt hat clutched between his hands. People were filing out of the basement room where I had just spoken, moving along the rows of wooden chairs to the door at the rear. It was 1947 and I come from Holland to defeated Germany with a message that God forgives. It was the truth they needed to hear in that bitter, bombed-out land, and I gave them my favorite mental picture. Maybe because the sea is never far from a Hollander's mind, I like to think that they, that's where forgiveness, forgiven sins were thrown. When we confess our sins, I said, God cast them into the deepest ocean, gone forever. And even though I cannot find a scripture for it, I believe God then places a sign out there, and it says, no fishing allowed. The solemn faces stared back at me, not quite daring to believe. There were never questions after talk in Germany in 1947. People stood up in silence, and silence collected their wraps, and silence left the room. And that's when I saw him working his way forward against the others. One moment I saw the overcoat and the brown hat, the next a blue uniform, a visored cap with its skull and crossbones. It came back with the rush, the huge room with its harsh Overhead lights, the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor, the shame of walking naked past this man. I could see my sister's frail form ahead of me, ribs sharp beneath the parchment skin. Betsy, how thin you were. The place was Ravensbrook, and the man was making his way for me had been a guard, one of the most cruel guards. Now he was in front of me, hand thrust out, a fine message. How good it is to know that, as you say, all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. And I, who had spoken so glibly on forgiveness, fumbled in my pocketbook rather than take his hand. He would not remember me, of course. How would he remember one prisoner among those thousands of women? But I remembered him and the leather crop swinging from his belt. I was face to face with one of my captors, and my blood seemed to freeze. You mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk, he was saying. I was a guard there. No, he did not remember me. But since that time, he went on, I have become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there, but I'd like to hear it from your lips as well. Again, the hand went out, will you forgive me? And I stood there. I, whose sins had again and again to be forgiven, and I could not forgive. Betsy had died in that place. 
Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply by, for the asking? Could not have been more than a few seconds, but he stood there, hand held out. But to me, it looked like hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I ever had to do. For I had to do it. I knew that. The message that God forgives has a prior condition that we forgive those who have injured us. If you do not forgive men their trespasses, Jesus said, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. I knew it only for, as a command of God, but as a daily experience. Since the end of the war, I had a home in Holland for victims of Nazi brutality. Those who were able to forgive their enemies were able to return to the outside world and rebuild their lives, no matter what the physical scars. Those who refused and nursed their bitterness remained invalids. It was that simple, and it was as horrible as that. And still I stood there with coldness clutching my heart, but forgiveness is not an emotion. I know that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will, and the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Jesus, help me, I prayed silently. I can't lift my hand. I can't do that much. You supply the feeling. And so, woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into one of the, his outstretched to me, and as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into my joint hand, into our joint hands. And then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried with all my heart. For a long moment, we, cra- we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intense as I did then. But even so, I realized it was not my love. I had tried and did not have the power It was the power of the Holy Spirit as recorded in Romans 5, 5, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. Thank you so much for listening to the Coastal Church audio podcast. We hope that today's message has inspired you to live in a life fully devoted to following Christ. Be sure to check out our website for other ways to watch, listen, or share this message. For more information, go to coastalchurch.org.